My name is Lex Dad, and I'm a local Darug man. We share country up here in the Blue Mountains with the Gundangara people. I'd like to pay respects to our elders, both past and present. I'd like to pay respects to our young people who are our emerging elders. I'd like to pay respects to Pema Wianga, Mother Earth, and Father Sky, Biami. And I say in our link, local Darug language, Warami Merega Darug Nyura. Welcome, friends, to Darug country. May we all walk with good spirit, with patience, humility, and respect for one another. Didgeridgora, and thank you. Hello and welcome to Paperback Writer on Radio Blue Mountains 89.1 FM. I'm Catherine. And I am Zach. I don't know why you do voices at that time. Because they're cool. Okay, because they're cool. So I'm Catherine, (laughs) that's Zach, and we're the hosts of the radio show Paperback Writer, a show about all things books. Uh, yes, we're a book show for all paperback writers and readers featuring book reviews, interviews with local Australian and international authors, new releases, literary awards, novel ideas, and a lot of book-related puns. Sometimes too many book-related puns, I think. Not even just book-related, just puns in general. And that's true. All that's true. The they're not just book-related. That's very true. That's true. Um, so we're, we're in the new studio again. Very exciting. Uh, it, it, we've moved just across the hall, so um, it's you know still getting set up. Very exciting. Still ironing out a few little issues here and there, but we'll try and make it as professional as possible. Well, I mean, last week I spoke in the microphone for a good three minutes before you realised my mic wasn't on. So yeah. well, that's because I'm just used to blanking out your voice. So. <laughs> well, either way, I mean, we're already doing better if my mic's on. Yes, true. <laughs> let's progress. <laughs> um, all right, so let's start the show. What, what, what do we want to talk about? What we've been reading? Yeah, I think so. What all have right. you been reading, Catherine? Well, I have been reading a book that I very much enjoyed uh, called The Zoo by Christopher Wilson. Uh, So Christopher Wilson is a British writer um, and he's written a bunch of books um, and they've been, you know, (coughs) won various awards um, in in different languages, things like that. Um, This one is, it's interesting. It's a satirical account of uh, of life under Starlin. Um, So... (laughs) I'm just wondering how to even start describing it. So... The point of view is from a 12-year-old named Yuri, and he has brain damage, so he was hit by a truck, and he's lost the frontal part of his brain. So that's where, you know, impulsivity, making decisions, thinking ahead comes from. Uh, And so he comes across very much as, well, people call him a fool or an idiot, and they don't realise that he actually knows a lot of what's going on. Um, And he has this persistent smile on his face. So people, one, sort of think, you know, why are you looking at me like that? You know, we're not friends. But also people tend to confess to him a lot um, because he's smiling and looks so welcoming and opening uh, and open to them. Um, You know, he'll meet people and they'll be like, oh, you know, I'm really sad and this is what's happening. You know, and they'll just confess everything to him. Uh, So... It's 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 really interesting perspective because um, because he has his brain injury, everything he says, sort of, he tries not to say a lot um, because he's he's well, that makes sense, yeah. Well, but, but because he just blurts out everything he's thinking basically, yeah. um, and so his father's and it works as a vet at the local zoo, um, and this is just so Lennon's died, Stalin is dying, he's not doing very well. Not that 
Stalin would admit that to anyone. Um, I think there was about thirty years between Lenin and Stalin dying, though. In reality, yeah, yeah, yeah. So this this was this is further along. Like, okay, gotcha. it's not he hasn't just died, but right, um, right. so that's where we're at. So the the his dad's a vet, um, and they're in a zoo, and he's an, especially an elephantologist. Um, but then suddenly, in the middle of the night, they're whisked away. So the mother has disappeared, as far as Yuri knows. She's gone on holiday or something like that, which is a bit ominous in. Mm-hmm. Soviet Union at those times. Anyway, so they're dragged away in the middle of the night. They go and see someone um, because, and he looks a lot like Stalin, which, you know, it never uses the word Stalin, but basically they call him Iron Man and they have all these different characters who uh, uh, I know are nods to people who were really around at the time, you know, political political characters, political people. Um, So anyway, they're dragged away in the middle of the night because all the vets have, uh, because all the doctors have disappeared. Uh, Some of them have had heart attacks and died. Some of them have... That sounds suspicious. Yeah, all of of the doctors that have treated Stalin. Um, So they, or they've disappeared or something's happened. Um, And so they get a vet because he's basically all that's left. But of course, they're told this isn't... Iron Man. This is someone who might look like him and you forget you've ever seen this. It's all very much the middle of the night, cloak and veil and very threatening. Um, And they say, well, look, he's had a stroke and he's not very well and he needs to stop drinking and smoking. So, of course, his dad is dragged away because that goes against what they want to hear. And Yuri stays behind. And Yuri, as I said, you know, has this persistent smile that people confess to him. But he also, because people think he's stupid and a fool, they... Stalin, Iron Man, feels like he can just open up to him. Mm. So he's just really honest with him. And, you know, he's horrible to him because Stalin is a terrible person. Yes. And Yuri, <laughs> but Yuri just kind of listens and just sort of, but gives him quite blatant, blatant honest truths because he has brain damage. Yeah. Um, and so it's really interesting. He becomes the official food taster for Iron Man, yep. um, which, of course, means also trying his cigarettes and vodka. So this poor 12-year-old is just drunk a lot of the time <laughs> because there was a lot of vodka and a lot of liquor uh, and, and, it ha- and just starts smoking. Um, but it, they become sort of companions and not in a friendship way because Lin, uh, sorry, Stalin is a horrible person and bullies him and treats him like crap, but he also feels that he can trust him. But then everyone else is like, well, hang on, this boy is suddenly close to Stalin. We need to hear what we, you know, get what we can from this boy. So everyone's trying to use Yuri, this poor kid. But they also also think he's stupid. They think he's an idiot because mm. he has this you know, sort of dumb grin, grin on his face because he's very impulsive in the things he says and he's very straightforward. So does, it, does that mean that he basically gets um, access to, he gets to hear all the... Everything. Yeah, all the stuff going on in the crazy political atmosphere around him. And, of course, people want to take over. They know Stalin's... I mean, I'm saying Stalin. They don't say the word in the book, really, because it's Iron Man, so I'll just... But um, they know he's dying, but he won't admit it because he's, you know, power-hungry and a little bit mad. he's made out of iron, isn't he? Well, yeah, exactly. (laughs) Um, Anyway, so Yuri gets to... Be, has to try all his food and is around him all the time, but also meets his advisors and all the people that haven't been killed or sent to the gulags yet. So he hears everything, all the political intrigue. He meets all the lookalikes, the, you know, the doubles. Yep. Um, and he, uh, yeah, it's, it's, it's really, really interesting. And, and everyone thinks he's stupid, but he knows everything that's going on. And it's sort of, I, I won't say much more than that, but, but it's, it's really interesting because, because they think he's a fool, he's seeing... You know, he goes to an excessive state dinner and everyone's drunk and, you know, the Iron Man is just horribly bullying everyone. Yeah. Um, they know, tend to do that. Well, making them, like, crawl around on all fours and bark like a dog, like really demeaning stuff just to show, you know, I'm more powerful than you. 
Um, but he, so he's seeing all the betrayals. He's seeing all the buffoonery and the body doubles. Um, but he also doesn't really understand. He's like, well, hang on. How can this man be in five places at once? That doesn't make sense because he is, you know, a little bit simple because, well, one, he's young. But two, of this brain damage. Um, you know, and someone breaks his nose, Yuri's nose, to try and say, you better work for me or else. But but he, the guy's like, well, I'm doing this because I'm your friend. And he can't quite understand that. Like, yeah. why would you break my nose if you're my friend? And It's a valid question. <laughs> you know, his dad goes missing and all these people go missing and Yuri's told, oh, you know, they're just, they've gone away on a holiday or something. And he doesn't know, you know, us as the reader, because it's all from Yuri's perspective, we're guessing, well, sh- you know, yikes, that's not good. <laughs> yeah. Uh, you know, what's really happened to them and what does that mean? Um, what's, it, what's the writing like? How would you describe the writing? Well, and that's what's really interesting about it because it's from his perspective. The whole thing is from Yuri's, Yuri's perspective. perspective. So yeah. you, you hear what he thinks as well as read what he says. Read what he says, rather. But it's very simplistic and easy to read. And even though he, it's horrible things, like some of the things Stalin says to th- him, some of the things you see, if it was another book and described in another way, it would, you'd feel like, oh my gosh, this is horrific and this is awful. And it yeah. still is. But because it's from his perspective, it's almost quite refreshing because he's got this quite simple perspective and he, he believes the best in everyone. Even though, you know, like at one point him and Iron Man play um, checkers and Yuri's about to beat him and then the Iron Man's like, oh, but you don't know about this special rule and just starts making up rules so he can win. And Yuri's <laughs> like, oh. That's the way to do it. Oh, well, I didn't know about this. Okay, that's, you know, it must be a rule I've never learned. Okay, well, you win. You know what I mean? So he's constantly being manipulated because he's just got this refreshing view of the world. Um, so look, I, I really enjoyed it. I, I, I thought it was really worth reading and it's very clever. Uh, the, 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 the satire and, and I think... It's a, It's got a lot of nods and little, um, uh, I don't know, references to real political people um, that were around. So I think if you know a lot about that time in history, you'll probably appreciate it a lot more than than <laughs> maybe I would. But so, I, so it's a book for would would people who have an interest in politics. I think be so. In this book? I mean, it's it's fiction, but it's based on. I, I think it's based on the real events that happened. I mean, no one really knew what happened behind closed doors, I think. Yeah. But, you know, we know that Stalin got sick and we know, you know, and there's probably a little bit that's made up because it is fiction. But I think, yeah, if people are interested in, in Stalinist Russia, the uh, Soviet, Soviet Union at that time, I think they'd find it really interesting. And it's just easy to read. Yeah. I, I could have read it sort of, you know, much quicker than I did. It was easy to dip in and out of. You know, you don't need to have... I lost track a little bit of the different characters, maybe because they had uh, Russian names and, uh, you know, Soviet names, and I wasn't, uh, you know, it wasn't yeah. like John and Sue and Mary to, yeah. you know, as... That <laughs> uh, makes me sound a bit dumb, but you know what I mean? <laughs> like, uh, they, they weren't familiar names to me, so I did get a little bit confused between them a bit, but th- I think that was because I wasn't... Like, I didn't feel like I had to know them all, you know? Yeah, well, I mean, if this makes you feel better, I know we talked about... Uh, Rising 44 a few weeks ago, the book that I read about the um, Warsaw Uprising. And I think I mentioned at the time, um, one of the things that the author did a little bit differently from usual was to anglicize essentially the Polish names to make it easier for uh, English readers, Mm. um, which I thought was an interesting idea. And I've read a lot of history books and I've never really seen much of that done before. Mm. Um, the funny thing was, though, I lost track of the characters very quickly anyway. Yeah. Uh, just just well, because there were so there many so of them. Many. Yeah, exactly. And that's the thing. Every every time someone looks at... Like, it was saying someone went to the gulag for telling a joke or some, looked at someone yeah. the wrong way. At one point, Stalin... Sorry, Iron Man gets an unripe banana and he says, fire the... 
I want you to put to death the person who procures our bananas. And, of course, there's not really, like, the minister of banana procuring or something like that. And, of course, that doesn't exist, so they end <laughs> up putting to death the, the minister for trade. Yeah. Because this is the kind of, like, he's he's ma- he's a little bit power-hungry. He isn't losing his mind because he's having, he's, he's having strokes. Yeah. You know, his, his brain isn't working properly, but he won't admit it. He won't get help. And anyone who tells him otherwise, he puts him to death or yep. whatever. So... Uh, that doesn't sound very healthy. Characters for are just disappearing involved. all the time beca- yeah. because that was kind of you look at someone the wrong way. All right, you're off to the gulag. And Yuri, the way he, um, you know, explains this is really fascinating too because you know he says, "Oh, I know how it works." You know, Papa has told me that you know you look at someone the wrong way, you you get twelve years. If you've done nothing, you only get nine. Oh, you know, and and it's sort of this weird. Uh, well, it's the eyes of a child, really, but yeah. of a very s- simple child because of his brain damage. But also a child who's in an, an incredible position to actually witness, you know, what what's happening behind the scenes. And he this is authoritarian power. And he, there is so much power that this child has and has no idea, yeah. really. Yeah, well. And and then he starts to have some idea. I, I won't say too much. And it yep. it's it, it ended in a really interesting way. I thought the ending was quite good. Okay. Um, but yeah, I, I'd recommend it. So again, uh, that was the zoo by. Christopher Wilson, um, yeah, and and I mean, despite the ho- horrific themes, it was actually really easy yeah. to read. Um, uh, are you aware of any other books by Christopher Wilson? He I, had, I haven't heard of Christopher Wilson. Before. I hadn't, but he's written heaps. He's a British author, okay. um, and and he's he's had uh, works translated into a lot of different languages oh, and that wow. kind of thing. Uh, but yeah, it was none that I knew, but he has written a lot. Um, but I just picked this up. It was a donation to our shop. I think I said this last week. And I went to put it in the system and went, gosh, that sounds good. <laughs> <laughs> I want to read it. Yep. So it probably will go into our shop eventually. I've yep. lent it to someone else now. But um, yeah. This is the eternal battle that I have uh, running Rosie Ravelston books down in Hazelbrook with Catherine. <laughs> I, have to, I sometimes have to sneak secondhand books into the bookshop. Uh, and put them in the system before Catherine sees them. Otherwise, the they get added to our huge pile of to-be-read books no, at home. it's getting quite bad. <laughs> and we got donated a whole bunch of uncorrected proofs the other day, so we can't sell them. But as if I'm going to, you know, yeah. get rid of an uncorrected proof. There was, like, the, the sympathizer by yeah. um, the Vietnamese writer whose name I'm losing, yep. uh, the Ministry of Utmost Happiness, like, yep. Great condition. We can't sell them, so of course I'm going to keep them. That's fine. I have no problem. With un- you can have as many uncorrected, uncorrected proofs as you like. You shouldn't yeah, say that fine. because there were a lot in this donation <laughs> that's box. True. <laughs> that's true. Um, cool. Uh, so that was the zoo. What was the name again? Christopher uh, Wilson. I think it was. Uh, Wilson. Christopher Wilson. Christopher the Wilson. zoo. Cool. Yeah. Welcome back to Paperback Writer on Radio Blue Mountains, 89.1 FM. I'm Catherine and this is Zach. Yes, hello. Uh, and you just listened to Fake Empire by The National. Great band. Sufjan Stevens, who everyone knows is my favourite, is Never friends heard with of them. Him. Friends with them, sometimes performs, performs on stage with them. Just generally great band. Yeah. I love his voice. Fair enough. So it's, it's identifiable, that voice. Isn't it, it is, isn't yeah, it? You can tell I find away. it really soothing. Yeah. Yeah. So, I've told you what I've been reading. What have you been reading, Zach? Uh, I'm, I'm going to cheat a little bit here uh, because I have been in, uh, incredibly busy the last week, so I haven't actually done much reading. Oh, excuses, I know, excuses. I know. Come on, are you not committed to the For show, Zach? a bookshop Zach? owner as well. Very rude. Um, but that being said, though, I was standing in the house uh, this morning looking at my bookshelf, um, one of my bookshelves, <laughs> um, and having a look at books that I have read in the past, and I was reminded of a book, um, that I want to talk about today, uh, prim- primarily motivated by the fact that I've been uh, doing a bit of reading of the news about the war in Ukraine as well. 
Um, so I thought that we would chat, and I know you like this book as well, about Homage to Catalonia. Oh, yes. How long do you have? By George Orwell. Um, so we have mentioned this book a little bit in the past, but we haven't really had a proper discussion about it. Well, well I think when you read The Ragged Trousered Philanthropist, yeah. we had a bit of a chat because it was about socialism. Yeah, that's yeah. right. Exactly. Uh, and again, I mean, we're going back to, you, you've got a, these are the same periods, essentially. Mm. Like you've, you've got a book set around the early 50s and I've got a book set in the late um, 30s, I think. But um, for people who aren't aware, I, I think most, especially most of our listeners or listener would know um, who George Orwell is, a very famous British writer, uh, mainly wrote books in the 30s and the 40s. And then I think he died in the late 40s, if I'm not mistaken. Um, most famous for 1984 and Animal, Animal Farm. Farm. Yep. But those are his um, fiction, his novels. That's right. Whereas yep. his, his, he wrote a lot more essays, and I think his essays are much better. Yeah, he, and he wrote some nonfiction books as well. And mm. one of those nonfiction books is um, a Homage to Catalonia, uh, which is definitely one of my favourites. Um, it was written about his experience uh, actually fighting as a soldier during the Spanish Civil War. Um, which, uh, if I remember correctly, the war went for about three years, I think from 1936 to 1939. So it was leading up to World War II. It basically ended pretty much the same time as World War II started. Um, and he went over as a journalist, didn't he? He went, he went over to write and then he just got so swept up in it and he was like, well, then I have to. I have to fight. I have to sign up. Uh, I actually think he went to fight originally. No, no, I, I'm sure he Are you didn't. sure? I, like, yeah. I know he was a journalist beforehand, but I... I I can't remember the exact details about why he decided to fight, but, um, but yeah, I mean, he, the thing was, he, he was writing the whole time and keeping a diary and records um, of the events that were happening there. Um, and he arrived in ba Barcelona um, and effectively joined up a, a left-wing militia organisation. Um, and he, he tells a story about how he was put up in the barracks uh, in Barcelona with I think it was the the P O U M was the acronym yeah. for his oh my gosh everything he joined sorry but everything <laughs> he joined it was like an ac the acronyms just got longer and longer well that's yeah that's I part had to, of the story I had to Wikipedia it and just say go through them all because he just well he also provides a cheat sheet in the book um, oh, which is quite handy I must have missed that yeah he actually he actually lists all the organisations and the acronyms and and what they are and um, what they stood for. Um, but yeah he he essentially becomes an infantryman in the um, in the Republican army. So this was essentially the left-wing Republicans against the right-wing nationalists, mm. uh, ultimately led by Francisco Franco, who became the, the dictator. Um, spoiler alert, they, the, the, the right-wingers um, won the war mm -hmm. with support from the Nazis and from the Italian fascists as well. Um, but it was essentially this huge conflict between left and right um, within Spain. So it was a civil war, but there was a lot of participation from people outside of Spain as well. As I said, the Germans and the Italians were fighting there um, in Spain on the side of the nationalists. And on the Republican side, uh, it was actually quite common for people like Orwell and other British people and German left-wingers and French left-wingers and people from all over the world essentially came and fought on the Republican side. Mm. So even though technically it was a civil war, it actually had a lot of international elements as well. Definitely. Um, and I remember one of... Sorry, this is oh, your sorry. talking about what you've been no, reading. No, you but go. I remember it really struck me how he was fighting alongside so many young people who didn't know how to use a gun and there was like one gun that worked. Or so, or, or, yeah. And so they, or they would all practice using the one gun because there just wasn't anything to fight with. And when there was, it was just 
whatever they could find and it often didn't yep. work and jammed and all that kind of thing. And they had limited ammunition. Yeah, and, that's you know, right. A lot of the people uh, he was fighting with were illiterate as well. Mm. So um, even if you got a manual for something, they wouldn't necessarily be able to read right. it. Or And he had pretty terrible Spanish too and he was fighting... You know, in, in a place that where they spoke Spanish and um, Catalan as well. So just to mm. add to the difficulties. And there were other international fighters there who, again, you know, spoke German, French, mm, mm. Um, Italian, you know, whatever the case may be. Um, and that's, that's some of the most interesting part of the book, the early stages when he's actually in the trenches uh, on the front line. And he's telling the life of a soldier, essentially, what it was like to be there. They didn't have much in the way of ammunition or supplies. They were quite limited in that respect. Um, it was also a particularly quiet part of the front that he was on as well. Um, there wasn't a whole lot happening. So a lot of the early part is kind of talking about the boredom of being a soldier and the deprivation of, of you know, life in the trenches and mm. things you had to go without. Um, one of the, the elements I always found a little bit funny was the idea that because George Orwell was quite tall, I think he was six foot, yeah. or at least very close to it. He was significantly taller than most of the other people he was fighting with. So... When they built, uh, dug trenches, they dug trenches to their own height. That's right. So he had a tendency to always have to stoop down when he was crossing between certain parts of the trenches because they just didn't build them for tall Englishmen like George Orwell, Um, which funnily enough uh, has a more serious um, outcome to it a little bit later on. Mm. Um, But one of the interesting things about the book as well is the fact that being on the front is very self-contained. So the fighters on the front really have no idea what's happening back in yeah. Madrid or Barcelona and other Sorry, areas, where? in Barcelona, Barcelona or Madrid, in Barcelona, um, they get <laughs> they get uh, they get snippets of information, and there's always gossip. And I think there's like an official kind of Republican newspaper, or actually, I don't think it's Republican, but the, each of the political parties have their own newspapers and that kind of thing. Mm. But they don't get that much information about what's happening. Um, so back in Barcelona, while these Sorry. guys Barcelona, thank you, yep. <laughs> these guys are out fighting. Um, the uh, there's a whole bunch of uh, political stuff going on, uh, infighting between socialists and communists, yeah. infighting between different types of socialists. There's also anarchists, especially in Barcelona <laughs> and Catalonia um, and that that part of Spain. And then the anarcho syndicalists as well. Yeah, that's that right. There's different different types of anarchists, yeah. different types of socialists, different types of communists, and it's just insane. While they're all trying to fight this war against the right wingers and the nationalists, the Republicans themselves. Are splintering and there's starting to be little um, kind of battles almost going on in the streets of Barcelona <laughs> uh, <laughs> between these these rival groups. Um, and again, the, the people at the front just don't really have any idea what's going on. They're there fighting for against fascism, essentially. Yeah, against, yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, uh, and they, you know, they're kind of some of them are dying as well. Like it's it's not an ideal situation. Um, it's kind of skipping along a bit. Uh, essentially, eventually, when Orwell's um, at the front, partly because of his height, he actually gets shot. Mm. Um, and he gets shot in the neck. And a very, very lucky wound, eventually, because he does survive. Neck minute. <laughs> um, I'm just going to ignore that one. Uh, <laughs> But he's taken back to Barcelona. Um, it's a very long and arduous journey over a really bumpy road, so it's quite a painful journey. His his wife is also in, in Barcelona <laughs> with him. Um, so he gets back there and essentially he's been back a couple of times before, but this time when he comes back wounded, everything has changed. And the, So how much further along was this from... He was only there for about six months, I think, so it didn't take that long. Okay. 
Um, but by the time he got back, uh, basically the the socialist organization that he was a part of had been outlawed by the communists oh. and by some of the other left-wing organizations. So all of a sudden there was this huge crackdown by some of the left-wingers against other left-wingers and he happened to be part of one of the organizations that got outlawed. So all of a sudden after you know, you know putting it with his months of fighting and uh, all the challenges of being on the front and there's actually some quite... One of the, the stories he tells about an attack that they undertake is really mm. powerful. Like he's, mm-hmm. he's a fantastic writer. But so he gets back wounded and all of a sudden he realizes that he has to get out of Spain um, because people from his political organization are basically being taken out and shot by other left-wingers. Isn't that ridiculous that they fight amongst themselves? It makes me think of feminism now a little bit, you know, how there's all these branches of feminism and really what a lot of people want is the same thing. Yeah, sure. At least in terms of the end goal and the big goal, but it's it's just crazy because if you were able to just put aside those differences, fight together, it could have been a very different outcome. Yeah, it's exactly. And I mean, one of the one of the the big debates over this whole period, from a historical point of view, is just that the Republicans should they have just put all this stuff aside, won the war, and then dealt with who was actually going to run the country. Mm. Uh, And there were a lot of arguments on both sides about the communists, in particular. Um, felt that they couldn't win the war unless they were in charge, mm. um, which there was an element of that because Stalin um, and the Soviet Ooh. Union were, were only really providing the weapons to the communists, not to the socialists or the anarchists. Mm. So there was a whole... There's, there's a, you could spend hours and hours having that discussion about what they should have done. Yeah. Um, but the reality is that they did turn on themselves and there was lots of really vicious street fighting that happened in Barcelona, Barcelona Thank you. <laughs> between <laughs> the left-wing factions. Uh, and eventually, Orwell and his wife, they had to escape. And I think they had to escape over the Pyrenees, the mountain range between Spain mm. and France, uh, in yeah, quite a kind of... Right. Uh, all the time while he was wounded as well. And he was actually involved in some of the skirmishes in Barcelona as well. Uh, I remember there's a scene where he's on top of a building, <laughs> kind of defending the building from other left-wingers. Like, it was... It was... It's just... It's just it's a, it was a crazy time in history. And he was only there, as I said, for about six months yeah. out of the three years. But... His writing is so vivid. He, he's very mm. um, he's very efficient uh, with his writing. He doesn't uh, use any unnecessary superlatives or adjectives or anything like that. Really, he just kind of gets to the point. And I remember what I really like about that book. There's a, not far in. There's a chapter, and it says, "Look, if you're interested yeah. in the politics, read this chapter. If, if that's something that doesn't interest you, skip this chapter and move yeah. on. And I'll continue with my story." Exactly. He confines all the really deep politi- political stuff about who represents what and Which who the leading figures are. Oh, that's one of my favourite chapters. <laughs> um, but yeah, he, I, I, I love the fact that he has that self-awareness that, look, not everyone who reads this book is going to be interested in the you know, the minute details of yeah. the differences between the, the left-wing political parties. But um, So he gives you the option to skip on and just read his essentially his gonzo journalism yeah, style of really approach, is. like just embedding himself yeah. with all the, uh, you know, in the action. Um, and it was something he genuinely believed in as well. It wasn't just there in order to you know to write a really interesting story um he gen- genuinely, no, genuinely believed in supporting yeah i believe that too. yeah that side of the uh, you know the cause um and that's something i've always admired about orwell is you know the road to wigan pier you know he really mm. wanted to support the, the miners and, and and you know looking at the the issues of class and and of poverty and i mean yes he was problematic as we spoke about a few <laughs> weeks ago yeah. but yeah. I, you know i think he, he he knew what he believed in and he, he followed it. Well, but what I see, I 
slightly disagree with that. I, th I think what you're saying is, is valid, but one of the things I respect about Orwell so much is that his beliefs changed over time. That's very true. Yeah. That when the facts change, his beliefs change. And he wasn't an ideologue. He didn't just restrict himself to, to saying, well, this is what I believed when I was 20, so obviously that's what I believe when I'm 40. Mm. Um, and that's one of the fascinating things about the things he saw in the Spanish Civil War it really made him understand just how much of a danger the left can be as well. Yeah. That's not just the authoritarian right uh, that are scary. The authoritarian left can be just as horrific and do just as many mm. terrible things. Um, and that's one of the, the, th the reasons why I respect all his writing so much is that he, even though he's based on the left of politics, he's, he's not shy in any way to call out the left side of politics if he, they're doing something that impinges on people's um, liberty and freedom, freedom and, and yeah. if they're doing things that effectively are, are copying the things that the people on the far right are doing mm. um so yeah it's 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 a fantastic book it's it's an adventure tale it's historical fact um it's easy to read too it i is. didn't it, i even though it's about war i found it really entertaining that makes me sound like i'm like oh this is great what a what a novel but yeah it's it's easy to read it's not bogged down with a lot of detail and yeah. you feel like you're there in the trenches yeah and, uh, and that's all those writing in general i mm. think like i said he, he doesn't waste time with words like he just kind of gets to the point and i think that really helps the readability and the flow um of his writing and it really you if if you have read 1984 or animal farm you you really need to have read homage to catalonia as well because so much of those later two books yeah, are informed by that, that experience um, and even if you like lots of the people who pretend to have read 1984, um, <laughs> at least go and read Homage to Catalonia. It's a shorter book um, and it is, it, it's a, a work of history as well. These mm. are events that happened. That whole period around the Spanish Civil War is just fascinating. It's an, an era that I'm completely obsessed with. Well, and to have an outsider's perspective too, an yeah, outsider right. in that he wasn't Spanish. Yeah, exactly. Uh, you know, he wasn't from Barcelona. Yeah. <laughs> Didn't, didn't come from Ibiza either, so, yeah. Oh, well, how about that, eh? <sighs> All right. <laughs> on, we have our friend note. Fee with us in the studio today. She just hit me for that pun. I want everyone to know. Well done, Fee. She she very much deserved that. Um, Speaking of which, let's listen to some I of the songs. I live in Mount Vic, and I Ooh. love listening to Radio Blue Mountains, <laughs> 89.1 FM. This is the Samantha's. <laughs> That was my, my elbow just happened to hit the enter button on the keyboard and played the last thing that we listened to. Hashtag so community radio. He's, he's pretty excited, that guy, about living in Mount Vic and listening to Radio Blue Mountains. So, anyway, uh, let's listen to the... Um, you don't want to listen to that promo again? Oh, I, I mean, obviously, but... no. Fee I live in Mount Vic <laughs> and I love listening to Radio Blue Mountains, 89.1 FM. Don't we all? Catherine, what would you like to listen to? <laughs> <laughs> you, Sorry. I don't live in Mount Vic, but I also love. Um, Fee introduced me to a new singer, Emily. What is it? Waramara. It's in our Spotify playlist. Um, she's indigenous. Oh, yeah. Emily Waramara. Yeah, so yeah, you've so got a couple of songs in here. Do you want to listen to both of them? Yeah, let's do it. All right. I really like it. Really cool sound. Uh, so um, you're listening to Radio Blue Mountains, and the guy from Mount Vic loves it, as we know. Um, it's 1248. You're listening to Paperback Writer. Uh, we'll play a couple of songs, um, we'll get our act together and then we'll come back and be uh, at least semi-professional. <laughs> Welcome back to Radio Blue Mountains. Welcome back to Amateur Hour. <laughs> amateur Hour. <laughs> Tell me about it. Um, I was No, I was talking about that pie shop that they did an ad for because I went there the other day yeah. and they had the cutest dog. It was an... What kind of dog was it? 
It was an. It's a great conversation. It was an uh, something terrier. It was a dog I'd never seen, but it looked like Sky Terrier. Sky Terrier. Right. Yeah. And I'd never seen one, and it had these ears that stuck up and came out, and those ears were black, but his body was white. He looked like a little panda. Oh, she, because her name was Dorothy. No, Diana. And she had a sister called Dorothy, who was <laughs> Diana and Dorothy. Oh, and they were so cute. D- yeah. Die, die, and Dodo. They said. <laughs> die, die, Dodo. Oh, wow. <laughs> so, oh my gosh. Whoa. Okay, you changed that. Dodo's already dead, so don't worry about All that. All right, I'd, I'd like to apologise. Gone extinct. The Dodo's gone extinct. What are you apologising for? I didn't kill the Dodos. Anyway. <laughs> <laughs> Oh my goodness! Okay, yep. so it's anyway, good pies, great dogs. Yep. Um, and if they're, <laughs> if they're, I don't think the dog's if, always there. If the people who were who let us pat their dogs are there, thank you. Because I took photos, I'll show you. They're so cute. Cool. Actually, I texted you the photo of the dogs. Yeah, uh, that's our life. I vaguely remember. Yeah, the dog oh. that looked like a panda. Yeah, oh, yep. so cute. Um, so how good is that artist you just, we just listened to? Yeah, it, it was it, really good. Emily Waramara. So mm. what what was the name? The first one was blue. First one was Lady Blue. The That's second right. name was Yemenda Papagunare, which is also known as the Turtle Song. Which feels very sort of Pacific Island Hawaiian kind of. Yeah, kinda. it's with the um, what do you call ukulele? that? Ukulele. Ukulele. Uh, was yeah. it a uke? Anyway, well, it was it a cool song. A uke sound. So I want to tell you a bit. <clears throat> I've just while we were uh, listening. So um, she's a uh, Emily Waranara is a Waranindili Agua woman, uh, which is northern, and she grew up in the. Uh, Northern Territory. She grew up in Brisbane, but she's from the Northern Territory. And she sings both in English and in Anandiliakwa, um, which is an indigenous language, which I hadn't heard of before. There is a lot of them. Well, there's a lot, and I'd mostly heard of the ones in New South Wales, but listen to this. So it's listened by the Anandiliakwa people on Groot Island and Bickerton Island in the Gulf of Carpentaria in the NT. Oh, yeah. The language is a multiple... Multiple classifying prefixing language in which all traditional nouns, adjectives, personal and demonstrative pronouns are prefixed for person, number and gender. Do you think that's interesting? So what's an example of that? I don't know. Doesn't, <laughs> give, doesn't give one. Um, but it's it's spoken now by 1,500 people almost. Oh, there you go. But she that's said cool. that, that last song was in, as, was in that language. It's cool. It's always good to and see threatened languages um, coming back and... Um, you know, people actively actively using them as well, not just talking uh, in their communities, but you know, creating mm. art with those languages as well. It's fantastic, and they're both catchy as yeah, they are. They're I great really songs. like them. Yeah. Um, so it's twelve fifty seven at the moment. Um, we're going to talk in a few minutes about the theme of our show today, um, which will be uh, why are books still a thing, um, which I think is going to be quite an interesting chat, and we'll go into that in a bit more detail, but. Just before we do that, um, I thought this might be a good time to get a bit of an update from Dracula Daily. Oh, 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 oh. I don't know why I haven't done that before. That was amazing. <laughs> I, I, I have a few guesses why you haven't <laughs> done it before. <laughs> What's been happening with Dracula Daily? Uh, well, oh, 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 oh. It's a, lot, a lot more has been happening than from last week. Yep. Um, but oh, you know what, though? We've met Van Helsing. Oh, about time. I know. How long's it taken? I actually didn't know he was part of Dracula because I've heard him as a vampire hunter, mm. like as a, you know, you see in Hollywood tropes or whatever. Yep. But I didn't realise he was actually in the novel. Um, so far, he's a bit boring, I'm going to be honest, <laughs> and really vague. Yep. But I'm hoping you'll get a bit more exciting. Um, so Lucy's very ill. So you remember Lucy's the one that got bitten by Dracula. We know that, but yep. they think. <laughs> Is that the one hanging out on the cliff? Yeah. Yeah, okay. And Mina thinks she accidentally stabbed her in the neck with her safety pin twice. Um, when she was cold, but actually it was <laughs> vampire fangs. Um, 
Yeah, I know. Yep, okay. it's, a, it's a bit of a stretch, yep. but anyway, that's Mina for you. So Mina's gone Classi- to... It's classic Mina, Oh, really. it's classic Mina. <laughs> Hashtag classic Mina. Um, so Mina's gone off to visit Jonathan, who has violent brain fever, as you know, in the <laughs> asylum. Yep. But he isn't actually mad. It's he because doesn't have brain <laughs> Well, no, it's because he's coming fever. in saying there were wolves and there was a guy who stole my yeah. clothes. I'm still on that. Yep. And went for a, you know... and. Uh, these vampires suck my blood at night, all this stuff, and they yep. think he's mad, but it yep. really happened. As, you, as one would. So anyway, so Mina's not in it. Lucy's very, very ill, and um, Lucy's mum is ill, and but Lucy's trying to hide it because if Lucy's mum uh, gets any shocks, she'll die, basically. Yep, she, sure. She's on her deathbed, but Lucy doesn't know, and they're yep. trying to protect the mum and all these kind of things. Anyway, so Arthur has been asked to look after um, Lucy, and he calls on his friend. Uh, Lucy's become more ill, and he calls his friend Van Helsing. And he says, Van Helsing, you know, you need to come and help me. You know, you owe me a... F- well, not you owe me a favour, but, you know, y- you said I could call on you. And um, <laughs> Van Helsing says, tell your friend that when that time you suck from my wound so swiftly the poison of the gangrene from the knife that our other friend, too nervous, let slip. You did more for him when he wants my aids and you call for them than all his great fortune could do. What? When he wants my aids... No, what? No, basically, Arthur sucked the the gangrene poison from. So that's not related to uh, a vampire wound. No, that's just a little side fact. I just thought it was gross. I thought you'd enjoy that, but I think I just confused you. So there's a gangrenous wound, and the guy just decides to put his mouth on it. No, okay, you know, I wish I hadn't said anything because I feel like (laughs) I've just lost you. I think I've missed. That's right. Anyway, so Van Helsing comes to look after Lucy. Uh, He is vague as anything he's like oh you say what you will i think she might be well but maybe she's not well and i don't know and it's really frustrating because yep. he doesn't actually give Much anything like this conversation <laughs> then he's gonna <laughs> he's gotta head back to amsterdam um that basically lucy's getting worse and worse and and he's coming back um so that's kind of where we're at at the moment with that and then remember the man who's in the asylum not jonathan but the one who eats the flies and eats the birds and things <laughs> <laughs> No, I don't recall You're the one who said, let's have daily updates of Dracula Daily. I'm regretting it right now. Anyway, so he goes violent violent and angry, then Carham, and now he's using sugar to catch flies again so he can eat the flies. And then the sun sets and he yells at the sunset and he says, he's deserted me and all this weird stuff's happening. And I don't really see how it relates. I'm guessing that he's the master somehow of... Like, he, he Dracula's his master, but he feels that Dracula's abandoned him. But I don't really know because he goes from these sort of violent fits of rage and anger where it takes, you know, a few men to hold him down yeah. to just absolute calm and sweetness where he says, oh, please, can I have more sugar? I want more sugar so I can catch more flies so yep. I can eat them. Yep. <laughs> so well, that's violent brain fever for you, No, isn't it? this is that's Jonathan. This Are you is sure this guy does Because that sounds like a typical case of violent brain fever or VBF, as I like to call it. Yeah, no? look, it could be. Okay. I, I'm just saying that to shut you up. Yeah, maybe. <laughs> but my favourite part is he finally got more sugar so that he could catch more flies. And so then he was, because then with the flies he catches, I think he catches birds and then he eats the birds. He's really, like, he's quite unwell. But anyway, <laughs> he goes up to him, uh, the, the doctor, and says, oh, you know, he, and he, he, the doctor goes, oh, you know, how are you going? What's going on? And he throws all the boxes, all the flies, all the w- things out the window and... and the doctor goes, oh, I'm a bit surprised by this. So you're not going to keep flies anymore? And he goes, no, I'm sick of all that rubbish. <laughs> the end. The, oh, okay. Yep. 
what is this book? I this know. It's just getting I, weird. That's the thing. It's there's all, But you know it's not just for the sake of it. You know it's going to come into the story somehow. Yeah. Yeah. And I still can't. I mean, maybe, and I'd never actually thought of this, and it's really obvious now, maybe he's in the same place that Jonathan's in. But Jonathan was being looked after by nuns. It's a, it's real, it sounds like a classic case of violent brain fever. <laughs> you really know what? Does. It's v, VBF all over again. Yeah, you know what? You're absolutely right, Zach. <laughs> I think I'm going to end it there. Right, cool. <laughs> um, well, that's just weird. Like, I was kind of, when I was asking for Dracula daily updates in the past, it was, oh, they were on a boat and they were sailing across and there were boxes of dirt and it was just kind of like oh okay sounds interesting well, yeah, it sounds now, interesting the captain bound himself yeah, to the wheel exactly. so that it sliced him to the bone because everyone else was dying that's not casual it and interesting. sounds interesting well it's interesting but it's pretty full-on but it's now not it's casual. gone to violent brain fever and people catching flies i to, wish i'd never brought up to, violent brain sugar fever. to catch flies to catch birds to eat the birds that just seems just eat the sugar like i don't understand anyway but that's the thing that's interesting. He gets really angry at sunrise and sunset. So obviously there's... Don't we all? No? Well, obviously it's something to do with Dracula being... Because, ah, you know, he can't go out at day, yeah, during see, the day. That makes sense. Well, yeah. I presume... That's the thing. I, 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 I'm not sure what vampire tropes yeah. come from this book because there was a book mm. before this that was about vampires and there's been heaps of movies. So my knowledge of what vampires can yep. and can't do i mean he turned into a dog i didn't know vampires could do yeah, that so me. i actually don't know what's going to link and i find that quite interesting yeah and i must admit while i'm enjoying these little daily bits i'm getting a bit frustrated like i want to know <laughs> i want something to happen even yep. though things have been happening slowly because i can't rush ahead uh, you know you have to be a little bit patient and yep. before it was so exciting and i'd you know sit with a cup of coffee and yep. get ready to listen but now i'm like okay i'm ready where's dracula yeah What's going on? Well, your next one is out tomorrow night, I think, isn't it? Out well, no, tomorrow. they don't come every day. So no, they I thought it was once every Thursday. No. So once oh. they, the whole book is journal entries and letters. So any time on those days oh, that something right. happens, forgot, they send yeah. one out. So sometimes you don't get any for a very long so time. So you might get one tomorrow. You might not get one for two weeks. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Cool. And it's I I just know the book ends in November, All right? Which is actually quite a long way away, isn't it? Uh, I'm a bit well, not impatient. really. September October, it's two months away, so it's got to start ramping up soon. I would have thought, but well, we shall see. We'll see. Um, okay, thank you for that update. Um, hopefully, you don't get any more updates for next week, so we don't have to listen to that again. <laughs> uh, <I'm not> <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. I like Dracula Daily updates. Good save, Zach. Uh, <laughs> I, this annoys me because Zach's in charge of the controls and I would turn yep. him off at this point if I could. Yeah, oh, but you can't, so there you go. Um, <laughs> so I'm going to play a couple of songs uh, of my choosing and then we're going to go back because I have the controls <laughs> uh, and then we'll come back and talk about the theme for the show, Why Are Books Still a Thing? So. Sounds good. Hello and welcome back to Paperback Writer on Radio Blue Mountains 89.1 FM. Sorry, I don't know what is in the air today, but <laughs> Catherine and I have both kind of lost the plot a little bit. But hopefully you're finding it semi-entertaining. Um, but anyway. I think Zach's got violent brain fever. Yeah, I think so. That's, That's I why think. I can't stop thinking about it. You've got the VBR. So no, wait. V- VBF. VBF. <laughs> yeah, I've got mad VBFs. Yeah, it's true. Uh, so, <laughs> we've um, talked about what we've been reading and we've had our Dracula Daily update. And we just listened to the Easy Beats. Yes, we did. Oh, I love that song is so good. And Is we it all, an Aussie band? Yes, they are oh. back from the 60s, I want to say. Uh, and then, of course, um, something completely different, Smashing Pumpkins, Tonight, Tonight, from the 90s. And that's, an, that's so a classic good. song. I love the orchestra in it too. Yeah. Have you seen the video? I have. It's really fun. It's just, yeah, you've never seen a video like it. 
I mean, that's Smashing Pumpkins, though. They were just uh, an incredible uh, band. Um, so moving on from that, though, talking about books, um, I, the theme for today uh, is quite a big one, actually. I, I, well, I think we'll be able to fit a bit of conversation in about this in the 45 minutes or so that we've got left. But um, I, uh, we wanted to have a chat about why books are still a thing. Um, and, of course, this is quite relevant to us as being owners of a bookshop, Rosie Revelston Books down in Hazelbrook um, in the Blue Mountains. It's uh, um, something that I think uh, every uh, bookshop owner um, needs to think about at some stage or another because I know uh, when we were talking about the idea of starting up a bookshop, people uh, often would say to us, why would you do something like that? Bookshops are closing all over the place and, you know, books are a dying medium. Um, But you know what? I don't tend to think that's the case um and we've seen that uh having run the bookshop for a couple of years now um and i've just seen an article in the guardian i just you know searched and it was from january last year but um book sales defy pandemic to hit eight year high so uh, this is in um, the uk so despite bookshops you know they were closed for most of 2020 Um, heaps of authors, you know, were struggling, but they show that people were, you know, buying books. More than 200 million print books, 200 million, yeah, that's right. were sold in the UK last year. So that would have been 2020. Uh, the first time since 2012 that number has been exceeded. What? Yeah, it's the biggest number since 2012. Yeah, basically, sorry, yep. yeah. Um, so people are buying more. And you know what I wonder, though? I wonder if that's pe- that was, you know, people that... Because the coronavirus, people thought, oh, well, we don't know when lockdown will be happening again. Yep. And if we're going to be stuck at home, we've got to have some books to read. Because I think a lot of people want to read more. At least a lot of people tell me that. So to have books and they want to read them, they have them in the house. So the question that I would put to you, though, is why? Why books? Because we saw during the pandemic as well in lockdowns that things like Netflix and subscription streaming subscription services went through the roof. And did really well. Um, I suspect if we looked at the sales of video games, they probably went through the roof as well. There's lots of ways to entertain yourself now uh, at home. You can be on Facebook or Instagram or of the social media channels. You can watch video streaming services. You can play video games. There's a whole bunch of different things. Why are people still reading books? Well, I think that uh, people who read books are quite uh, intellectual. Um, I know myself, I'm really, really smart. That was me trying to do a posh voice and you're just staring at me. That was that was your idea of a posh voice. All right, let's hear yours then. Wow. Let's hear your posh well, voice. I, my voice is posh anyway. Is so, it? yeah, I, this is how wash, I wash, normally wash. sound. No, but... I, I, By do, Jove. Don't you think that people... That was a terrible posh voice. I could I did not have a clue what you were I would doing. love to hear your posh voice then. Well, I'd like to hear you do it properly one day. That would be a good start. <laughs> anyway, so... so so you so think welcome only to Pavement Rider, the show where Zach bullies Catherine. <laughs> My gosh, no. So, but I think there's an idea of intellectualism behind, you know, some book reading. Like it, it's if you go, oh, what do you do on the weekend? Oh, I I watch Netflix. People might think, oh, well, if if you say you read a book, they might see themselves as more intellectual if they say they say they read a book. Did that make sense, Alan? So you you think there's an element of snobbery involved in reading books and, and so it doesn't really matter what type of book you read that it, it just gives you a sense that you're intellectual i don't i don't quite i think understand. there's an element of that okay as opposed to listening to music like well, couldn't you do the same thing i i was i was listening to beethoven um all last week wouldn't that have the same effect well i mean i'm speaking about in terms of you know playing and and this isn't something i agree with mm. just to be clear but you know playing a video game or watching netflix i think the idea of reading is sort of seen as more of an intellectual pursuit or, or something that a, a particular 
maybe even a t- particular class of people do. Um, because yeah. if you think about resources as well, like a, a lot of, uh, you know, lower socioeconomic groups, they might not have access to books. I mean, other than libraries and things like that. So, But, why, well, I mean, okay, there's, so there's a few issues that come out of that. So um, let's assume what you're saying is correct. Uh, and I'm not, I, I can see what you're saying. I'm not sure I'm entirely agree with it. But why are people not reading books on Kindle then? more than paperbacks or why are paperbacks still a thing in that respect because you can read a kindle and still say i've you know i finished 1984 on the weekend i've really got the interaction between because you can't various bits and pieces you can sound smart without having read a paperback book why are paperback books still a thing because you can't smell kindles well you could smell kindles but you couldn't smell anything on a kindle it depends what you put on a kindle (laughs) but you know what i mean books smell good and they feel good i don't know i've tried a kindle once and i didn't like, oh no! I think I read a book on my phone. I didn't like it. I, I like holding it physically in my hand. And but you hold a Kindle in your hand, though, don't you? Like, what is it, what's different about a Kindle to a paperback? Because I I suspect because there's so many paperbacks and hardbacks, like physical books that are still published these days. Why it can't just be that it feels nice? But it's, it's experience. Like I don't know the whole experience. Yeah, you sit say. down with a cup of tea and a comfy chair, mm. and you open up a book and read it. And you you know. Maybe, I mean, look, this is me personally, but maybe Kindle feels more like, you know, being on your phone. Whereas I feel like I waste so much time being on my phone and being on technology. Whereas being on a book, you're not, it's not, if it's not a Kindle. That's what I find interesting though. Like, I mean, Where the Crawdads Sing was a book that was really popular uh, in our bookshop last year uh, and popular all around the world. (coughs) If you're reading Where the Crawdads Sing on a Kindle or on in a paperback, you're reading exactly the same content. You're consuming the entertainment, uh, the exactly the same piece of entertainment, but you're just doing it in two very different ways. One of them strikes me, the actual physical book is being quite antiquated and, you know, you, you have to hold the book open with two hands. Um, you know, but if you let go of I mean. it, the pages come back together. It's not like a Kindle where you just swipe to... But that's, I think that's a big part of it, is, mm-hmm. is that it, it's, it's returning to simplicity. You're not needing to have a Kindle that's charged. You're not needing to connect to the internet. You're not needing, I don't know how Kindles work. Do you need the internet? I don't know. But well, you, you need to download books. I yeah, so, but, you know, uh, you, you're not needing to connect. You know, you can disconnect from the world by having a book because all you need is good enough light and I guess the ability to read and a book. But you mm. know what I mean? Like, it, it's... I think maybe that's a big part of it is that sim- the simplicity of a book. Well, that's why, but I mean, uh, also sitting down and watching Netflix is is even more simple than reading a book. Like it, you can just sit on the couch, push a button and basically the entertainment is loaded into your eyes without you but even that's having not to do simplici- anything. That's not as simple because you've got, you know, the lights and the sounds and the directors and I don't know, I'm not making sense, but it, it's, it doesn't feel simple to okay. me. Like it's uh, the act of sitting down and pushing play on a TV is simple, mm. but... Uh, the level of engagement is different. It's yeah. not about disconnecting from the world. So why do you think then <coughs> we've seen, it, when it comes to music in particular, we've seen a lot of different formats change. Music is still being created. Um, but in the last 20 or 30 years in particular, we've gone through a bunch of different formats of music to, the, to where we are now. Which And it makes sense that most people consume their mu- music digitally. I mean, we, on this show, we play our music through Spotify. Um, we don't have CDs or um, records or anything like that. Um, it's been digitized, and that's the way pretty much everybody listens. You know, there's a, yes, there's a niche market for CDs and, and records. Um, I find it kind of strange that books haven't gone down the same path as that. But why? Why uh, are people just not consuming books 
from a digital point of view because again people like the feel of a record that's what i was about to say putting a record on is is a sort of a ceremony mm. and and you, you you have to you know choose which one and put it on and push play and you listen to the whole thing well you know what I mean? Yep. It's not just, I'll oh, skip to that track, I'll oh, skip to that track. There's something in actually doing it. It's not as easy as swiping across the screen. You're holding the book, you're turning the pages. You're but my point is that has basically died as a way of consuming music. Yes, it mm. is still there. It's, it's very, coming back and people are... But it's very, very niche still. Like mm. it's, not, it's not anything compared to the sales of physical books versus e-books. Mm. Like this, the sale of physical books is still massive relative to records and digital music. Um, and it's fascinating to me that, that, that books have somehow survived that technological process. Mm. Um, that there is a, a, a much more efficient <clears throat> way of consuming a book now, but lots of people, and you know, ourselves included. Like, we, you, I know you mentioned you don't really read Kindle, nor do I. I don't read e-books either. Um, it's interesting, though, because I consume pretty much all my news on my phone, and I'm a pretty voracious consumer of news, so I read on my phone all the time. Um, but I read news. When it comes to a book, though, I agree with you, Kath. I want to have that physical manifestation of a book. I want to have that paper in my hands. Um, and one of the things I, I quite often think about when I think about this particular subject, the printing press was invented in the 15th century. Um, I, think, I think the printing press has been around almost 600 years. Um, that's pretty old technology. If you think about Music, for example, CDs, vinyl, all that sort of stuff. That's all very recent technology, really. Um, actually, printing words on a piece of paper is something that's been around for 600 years. Actually, printing words on stone tablets or wood or that kind of thing or um, you know, the, the various different ways people have communicated their language, that's literally thousands of years old. But, I mean, a Kindle can break. And, yes, I suppose a book could get ripped or wet or something, but what if you run out of power or what if... The screen cracks or what if... But what about if you're reading a physical book and you don't have any light? You can't read in the dark, whereas a Kindle has its own light source. Mm. So there's pros and cons to physical books versus e-books, for example. Um, and I I, 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 I mean, I'm speaking as someone who loves physical books, but I still kind of don't quite understand why physical books are still a thing. If you look at the Blue Mountains, um, we have some fantastic libraries up here, but we also have uh, at least 11 independent bookshops in the Blue Mountains within a fairly small population level. Um, that's a pretty remarkable thing in this day and age. Again, when so many people are consuming all their information on a, a phone or a tablet or a computer screen, there's still this massive market uh, for paperbacks. Mm. And again, not only bookshops, but libraries as well. I mean, why, why do you think libraries are still a thing? Mm. Do you think... Oh, no, this doesn't really answer your question in terms of libraries, but do you think people feel like they're supporting the author more if they buy a book? Because, you know, if, if you stream music, they get, like, the musician gets, what, like half a cent or something. And maybe that's the same for Kindle. You get a lot less money if it's an e-book or a, a Kindle version. But, that's just, but, I mean, you've just identified the paradox right there because people listen, stream music, knowing that musicians don't get much money. So why would it be different for authors? Why would people feel differently about wanting to support authors instead? Well, because you don't see rock star authors being like, woo, I'm going to have, you know, limos and private jets and that kind of stuff. I mean, maybe they exist, but it, it seems like musicians can I'm pretty sure Jeffrey that. Archer would have had some of that stuff. 
back when he was a best-selling author. But, well, I mean, just going back to the, the point about libraries again, um, what is it about libraries? We might talk about bookshops a little bit later on, but libraries, what's special about a library? Why are there still these huge collections of books? I mean, we're broadcasting literally just across the road from, I think, the biggest library in the Blue Mountains. Um, what, what is it about? And your mum, ha- uh, of course, is a librarian as well. And what is it about libraries that are so special, do you think? I mean, I think commun- uh, libraries are really community centres, aren't they? Yeah. They're, they're a place for people to meet and, you know, have things in common, uh, you know. And if if you're, you know, you can... Ju- I mean, but bookshops are the same, aren't they, really? Well, they are, yeah, yeah. But, mm. I mean, the the thing about a library is that you it doesn't matter your socioeconomic status at all. There's a communal space there that you can go to, even if it's just to get out of the cold or the heat or... Um, you know, just to just to sit down and read a magazine or a book. It doesn't have to be an elitist kind of thing at all. Um, and that, then I think that you, I think you really point out a, a, an interesting idea about the communal space because, especially in modern society, there are so few communal spaces, especially communal spaces where you're not expected to spend money. Yeah. Like you can go and hang out at a shopping mall, but that's really all about going there to buy things. Whereas a library, you go there, no one expects you to spend a cent. Mm. And that's actually quite a rare thing these days. And people are probably excited when you get out a lot of books and, you know. Yeah. 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 Well, I've just found some research, and it is from 2014, so there's probably some uh, more up-to-date stuff, but a study found that your readers using a Kindle were significantly worse, significantly worse, than paperback readers at recalling when events occurred in a mystery story. So basically, you, if you recall the plot, if you've read it on an e-reader, you're, you're not going to recall it as well as you would if you were uh, reading a paperback book. Yeah. Um, which is interesting. That is interesting. And, and the, 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 the researchers, it was a Norwegian study. Uh, well, the, uh, the lead research was Norwegian. Mm. Um, they thought that academics might find differences in the immersion facilitated by the device in emotional responses to the story. Um, and paper pe- people who read from paperback books did report higher on measures having to do with empathy and trans- transportation, as in they transport you to the world, I suppose. Yeah, I guess so. yeah, that would make <laughs> They have sense. heaps more to do with empathy and, you know, cars yeah. and buses and, <laughs> and immersion and narrative coherence than iPad readers. Um, yeah. I think, I think you've also really hit the nail on the head there too about the emotional connection. Mm. Uh, and that is something that I think is really unique. And it's, it's about books. And it's one of those interesting things too that it's not everybody feels that way about mm-hmm. books. It's you either have it or you don't to a certain extent. Um, and I know um, uh, Fee, our, our good friend before, was talking about um, one of the reasons that she keeps books at home on her bookshelf uh, is because it's almost uh, uh, telling the story of her life to a certain extent. It's almost um, she can look at books and go, oh, you know, I was reading that book back when this was happening in my life uh, or, you know, look at another book and, oh, yeah, that reminds me of these good times or that reminds me of these difficult times that yeah. I went through, that kind of thing. Um, and that's it's interesting because I've never really thought about that emotional aspect of reading books before and, you know, having the physical book. You, you can't do that with a Kindle. You're not going to look at the Kindle and just see the little cover icons on the screen and have that same emotional connection. Mm. Um, whereas that, that really brings to me the idea that there's something about that those pieces of paper and the, the spines and the covers, um, apart from being able to smell them, which I agree is, you know, mm-hmm. a, a real highlight of them, but just that the, the, there's some human connection to the physical book, to paper, that I still don't quite understand, but it, I know it's a beautiful thing. 
Well, um, maybe because, uh, well, I was going to say because you keep it, but a lot of people finish a book and then... Yeah, that's right. Exactly. Jess, but they listening. <laughs> they, keep s- they keep special books, though, or that's books true. that have special meaning to them or they really loved and they want to reread again. They want to revisit it, Which yeah. goes to show you how much of a connection there can be. Um, and would you do that with a Kindle? I mean, it's not quite the same, is it? Like, no, I, I, I won't so. delete it. And, and think about when you, if you um, let a friend borrow a book and then that person loses the book. Like, there is actually a little bit of a feeling of loss sometimes. And anger. Even though you know you can go and buy exactly the same copy <laughs> again, brand new, if you wanted to, or find another secondhand copy, but that's not your copy. Yeah. That's not it's the one a, that you originally read. It's permanence, isn't it? That's, I think that's what it is. Yeah, yes, but again, a digital record is probably more permanent than a book. If you download a file of a book, no, it's going to be there. I've read Station for Eleven for decades. I know what happens in Station Eleven; they lose everything, and then all of the doctors have to go and find medical journals and physical copies of books to, because it was in the stage where everything was online. But then, when the whole world fails, yeah, in a dystopian world, yes, I think that's probably spot on. But we're, we're not quite there yet. Well, it's tomorrow. So. <laughs> <laughs> Welcome back to Paperback Writer, 89.1 Radio Blue Mountains. Uh, I'm Catherine, this is Zach. Hello, this is the voice of the mountains. Who's the voice of the mountains? Uh, Radio Blue Mountains, (laughs) 89.1. So we haven't done that for a while, so I thought we were due. It's true. No, that's fair. Mm. You know what I was thinking about? When you're on a train and you see someone reading a book, well, when I'm on a train and I see someone reading a book, I'm like, what are they reading? And I like try and... Not so subtly glance. Yeah. If someone's on a Kindle, you can't really see. Or yep. even if someone's on their phone or iPad or whatever. You don't even know they're reading That's the, the thing. You're like, oh, well, they're probably on Facebook. Whereas it's sort of a community building thing. And sometimes I see someone reading a book that I read and I've loved. I'm like, oh, my gosh, I've read that one. Or I'll just sort of like try and give them a look. But usually they're reading, so don't meet my eye. Nah. But, but you know what I mean? Like yep. it's, You can tell a lot about a person by the book they're reading, I think. Um, and I, especially on the Blue Mountains train in the quiet carriage, you often see people reading books, yeah. which is great. And they yeah. have that, um, d- they did or do they have that Springwood? They had a little library at Springwood train station for yeah, a while. Yeah, I'm not sure if it's still there or not. but Yeah, <laughs> but yeah. I feel like that's a real bonding experience yeah, too. And a way to like, and if I was, you know, wanting to meet someone like romantically and I saw them reading a book, what, what, a, what a great pickup line. <laughs> you know, oh, that's hey, true, you know, true. I've seen you've read that. I've really loved that. Have you read this other stuff by them? You know, um, yeah, it's well. I mean, but you can have the same thing with a Kindle, though. Not necessarily, How? not necessarily seeing a Kindle. But if you happen to be um, at a party or something, and you talk about a book that you read recently, and that other person goes, "Oh, yeah, I read that too." That you could well have read those. But on that's Kindle. a conversation. This one doesn't need. You know what I mean? You just look at it. It's by seeing the jacket on the book. Yeah. So the, that's why um, paperbacks are still a theme because they're a good way to pick up. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, well, let's, end, works let's end the show there, I think. <laughs> okay, right. this has been paperback. I'm glad we solved that problem. <laughs> <laughs> um, again, though, coming back to community, um, one of the things uh, that I think links to what you're saying um, is the, the relative strength of independent bookshops, I think, um, as opposed to, uh, I don't know if people out there remember, but The Borders, um, which was oh, a yeah, big chain. Oh, yeah, we had one of those of, in Auckland. Yeah, of bookshops, yeah. Um, at least around Australia and I, I suspect in New Zealand well, too. Well, there was one in some. Auckland. Okay, yeah. well, there you go. Um, we used to go take huge trips. Like, it took a long time to get to the city yeah. from where I was, but we'd go to go to Borders because I didn't mind you reading books and looking at books yep. without buying them. Yeah. And we were, you know, poor students and, yeah, we so, used to love that. So that's the thing. You But but um, as as there were a lot of benefits to those stores, but at the same time, it also 
to some extent kind of felt a bit like a supermarket for books as well mm. in that it, it kind of commodified books um, and you felt like you were in this huge space uh, and you could see what they were tr- kind of trying to do to make it cozy and friendly but I never quite got the feeling that they got past the idea that uh, it was a, a large business here to sell you stuff mm. um, to some extent like Amazon of course and Amazon has been responsible well people have been saying that Amazon would be responsible for the death of paper um, back books for a long time, ever since they started selling books. Um, although my understanding, if I'm not mistaken, is that Amazon, their book business actually started selling physical books mm. um, before they actually moved into to selling e-books as well. Oh, okay. Um, but that's something I know that people have been, uh, people have been predicting the death of bookshops for a long time ever since Amazon started selling books. Well, even since the Kindle came out, yeah. the e-reader, yeah. And and I, I can definitely understand that. What uh, Amazon in particular lacks, and I suspect borders to some extent, although I don't really know it quite as well, is that community aspect though, because mm. I know with the bookshop that we run and other bookshops in the Blue Mountains and around Australia and the world, they don't just sell books. Most bookshops these days tend to do author talks, uh, they do book club events. Um, we do poetry nights as well. Mm. Um, we make sure that our, our bookshop is a, a really welcoming place where you can just come and have a cup of tea. And there's no pressure whatsoever to buy anything. You can mm. just come in and have a chat about books or, or anything else, making sure that it's a safe place for people, regardless of their sexuality or, or gender or their, their politics, you know, that kind of thing. Um, and again... I think there's a lot of that lacking in modern society with all the conveniences that we do have and everything being, you know, all the way you can consume different types of media. There's, there's not many places where you can consume that kind of media in a really communal environment anymore. And your point about seeing people on the train and kind of almost feeling a little bit of euphoria that there's another reader out there, it's almost like a badge of honour kind of thing to some extent. Like you're signifying... It's, it's almost like... This might be a weird example, but um, <laughs> bikies wearing jackets with their colours on them. Like it's almost kind of a, a signal to other people that you're, you share an interest. Mm. Um, and yeah, I don't think you really get that with downloading books from Amazon or even buying books online necessarily from you know, big online um, uh, retailers of books. Yeah, I don't know. It's something you just don't get. When you walk into a physical bookshop and you're actually talking to people about books and you can see the books, and that element of being surrounded um, in a relatively small place by books as well, not a huge uh, supermarket or warehouse of books. Mm. Um, that's something that I think people really seem to value, especially from a community point of view. I mean, do you think there's validity to that idea? Yeah, I think so. I mean, you can still order paper book packs online though, I yeah, suppose. And a lot but... of people do still. Mm. But and yet, and yet bookshops still exist. That's yeah. the thing. Because you can't get that same experience. And that's the thing, you know, that indie kind of bookshop. Mm. You know, you want to, you know, there's sort of this, I don't know, not trend, but, you know, I want to support small businesses. I want to support the little guy. And local businesses. Yeah, and so wanting to to buy from from small businesses to support them. And, you know, I think, you know, show me a a a bookshop owner who's, you know, become a millionaire from it. Yeah. <laughs> they just don't exist, you know. Yeah. So I think it's not like you're a bookshop owner. Jeff Bezos, the owner of Amazon. Oh, I see, right. <laughs> that took me a while. <laughs> I was yeah. like, is he the one who went to space? I don't know. <laughs> um, yeah, so I think there's that sort of camaraderie too mm. within book readers because, you know, when I find out someone's a reader, I get so excited mm. because not everyone reads. Yeah. Or if they do, they might read, you know, 
over Christmas or on holidays or, you know, um, a particular type of book. Whereas when I find someone who reads, I just, I get so excited and I want to talk to them. And if you read this book and if you read this book, because you're in a world, exp- well, now I'm just talking about reading, aren't I? <laughs> no, yeah, I'm not right. even talking about Kindle. I'm just talking about, but reading also that idea of being able to lend someone a book. Yes, so that's a very I've, good point. You know, I, I have this book, you should read it and, and lending it to them and handing them the book. I mean, I guess you could email them a, an ebook, but it just doesn't feel quite as warm and... We have, we have so limited face-to-face interactions with people mm. these days. Um, a lot of people communicate with friends over Facebook and things like that. So the actual act of giving someone a physical book mm. means that you are in the same room as them and you mm. can have a conversation with them there and then. Mm. Um, and that's true. That's an element you lose um, with e-books and the like. Um, one of the other things you lose uh, and... We're very, very proud of our wall of lost bookmarks. It's true in our bookshop, and of course, Kindles and eBooks and the and the like, um, reading things on phones. There's no bookmarks, and there is a whole wonderful world of bookmarks out there. Mm. Um, you see on the wall in our bookshop, just the completely random sand nature. Sandpaper, a piece of sandpaper. Yeah. I think that's small sachets, uh, sachets of salt and pepper. Yeah. Um, you know, just there's a leaf. There's ticket hubs. Um, just all mm. sorts of things. There's a um, a bunch of uh, um, British stamps, postage stamps. Yeah, they're old, aren't they? Yeah. Or they've, I can't remember how much they're for, but... Yeah, like it's just... and that's It's a snapshot of history, isn't it? To, to an extent. And mm. it's not only just the random things, but even just the, the things that are designed as bookmarks can be really mm. beautiful things. Um, and I, I know, again, from my personal experience, a lot of people um, have favourite bookmarks. Uh, I have a bookmark at home, um, um, uh, radio, um, ABC News Radio bookmark that I got so long ago. And I can't remember where I got it from, but it just is my special bookmark. It's, just, <laughs> it's, it's the bookmark I use right. for books. See, mine's whatever I find on the floor. So it might be a ripped <laughs> yeah. up bit of tissue yeah. or not unused tissue, clean, yeah. you know, but a business card, whatever I can find. <laughs> it's really bad. Yeah. Um, Envelope. And just on that point too, the other thing are inscriptions inside books. Mm. And again, that's not something you really get. Oh, with and we've a Kindle. found some of the most beautiful ones, yeah. haven't we? So, and and it's not it's it's when books are given as gifts to people. Um, again, giving someone a physical book, I think, is a much more pleasant experience than sending them a a redeemable code online. Um, the fact that you can easily wrap books are actually an excellent shape for wrapping. Uh, unlike a golf club or a balloon, you can actually Sorry. wrap a book quite easily. Sorry, unlike a, a balloon. Yeah. So can you just tell me as context where you'd want to wrap a balloon? Just one example present, is fine. When you want to give a present. So you want to give someone a balloon as a present. I tell you what, when you when you give someone uh, a golf club with a balloon attached to it, it is an absolute nightmare to wrap. Yeah, oh it's gosh. It's such a bad combination. So hard being you, isn't it? <laughs> You know, actually, that's one of the things I love about our secondhand books, finding the inscriptions. I've just found one I took a photo of. um, To my darling, and then it's their name. On your 61st celebration celebration of gracing this world with your boundless optimism, generosity, and vitality, it is my privilege to share our lives together. All my love, always. And then their name and three hearts. And how, I mean, I know, (laughs) I mean, they clearly didn't think much of it. They're like, right, give that to (laughs) an op shop. (laughs) (laughs) But I I feel, I don't know, and Alex was going to lend me On the Waves. Uh, No, Mm. what did we read? To the Lighthouse. Uh, And Alex has taken notes in it and, and like underlined um, you know quotes that, that were that stood out for them yeah. and I'm really excited to read that Alex is going to lend it to yeah. me and, and so I feel like that's kind of a 
I don't know, it's a journey and an experience with someone. Yep. And I guess what, could you do that on a Kindle? I don't think you could. That's not the same. I mean, you can send someone a lovely email, but, you know, again, and if you're anything like my email inbox, it disappears very quickly down down the, the rank of emails. <laughs> yeah, um, violent, violent brain, brain fever. fever. Exactly. <laughs> uh, you know what I think too? Sorry, that's I all right. in. No, go. I was just thinking cool up with a good book. Like for me, that's like a fire and a cup of tea and but curl up with a good and a tablet. Kindle. Well, yeah, it's just not... I feel like you can do that as well. You probably though. could. I don't know. Maybe it's... Yeah, but, it, but that, I think this is the whole point we're getting at is that it, it, there's that emotional connection is just not there with a piece of plastic and glass, whereas the, the, the paper and But the we're not cover. Kindle readers. Maybe there's a Kindle reader out there who totally would disagree and say, I'm no, sure, there is a connection. I'm sure that's true, but the point is not that why have paperbacks killed off Kindles? They haven't. The point is why paperbacks still surviving, even though you know ebooks still everything now. Mm. And I read that uh, Kindle sales are dropping as well. Yeah, yeah, that's interesting. Maybe they're just really good. And look, I, I hate to uh, be a Debbie Downer on this issue as well, but I mean, there's always a possibility that we're just getting a little bit too excited here, and that maybe the death of physical books is actually not that far away. Maybe it is in the near distant future, and just for some reason, it's managed to hang on longer than. Um, VHS has or vinyl as a mainstream way yeah. of listening to music. I think people better come to our bookshop quickly and buy all the books to they can. To any bookshop. Just in case. Yeah, and, <laughs> keep, and keep going to libraries as well because li- yeah. libraries are just the most Love important libraries. communal resource um, that we have. Yeah. Uh, you know, even though they give their stuff away for free. So. Yeah, terrible business model. <laughs> um, but yeah, look, I, and I hope I'm wrong on that. Um, I have been, you know, as I said, books have essentially existed for 600 years or so. Um, even more if you want to go a bit further back in time. Um, I, you know, fingers crossed they're here for at least another 600 years. Um, it's, it's, to me, it's the, the, the way to read a book, I think. And uh, I, I can see the, the benefits for having uh, e-books and Kindles in that way. It, it makes a lot of sense in some ways, but I'm just ha- quite happy to live in a world where both of those me- mediums exist. Mm. I think, I think that, that's a good compromise situation. And, you know, for example, if you want to go away on holiday and you want to take uh, 12 different books with you, mm. a Kindle is quite a handy way of doing that. No, you bring a lot of books and then you leave them behind. Although I'm not very good at doing that because I'm like, but it was such a good book. That's but true. then you can leave it and swap it for another one. I don't know. Yeah, yeah. There are, there are ways to get around that. Yeah, just yeah. don't bring, you know, really big giant books maybe. Yeah. And the one thing I always think about on this subject as well is when we have the our Bookshop of One Owned evenings where we set up the bookshop for people uh, to essentially rent out for two hours to themselves. And you put the chairs in the middle of the bookshop and you sit down mm. in, and they're low-ish chairs and you are just surrounded by a wall of books, basically three hundred, almost 360 degree. Just books. Yeah. yeah, and there is just something so special about that. And you're getting the smell of the paperbacks, you're getting to see all the different coloured spines and... Mm. Books you've read, books you haven't read, books that look intriguing. And different editions of books, yeah, different covers. Exactly, yeah. exactly. Like there's just there is something really magical about that, and um, to me that it's that emotional connection mm. is the thing that has allowed um, physical books to survive to this day, mm. and hopefully continue surviving. Yeah. Well, well, I think that's about all we've got time for today. Thank you so much, Kath, for um, uh, being on the show. Uh, and for Fee being in the studio as well um, and keeping us entertained uh, during songs. Um, this is Radio Blue Mountains 89.1 FM. You've been listening to Paperback Writer. We will be back same time next week. Um, what are we talking about next week, Kath? What's the theme? 
Oh, we've got Bori and Alex coming in, and with the, uh, they're going to talk about fan fiction. Um, so both Ooh, of them yeah. are fan fiction writers, yeah. and I don't really get it, but I want to because I thought it was all sort of erotica, really. Yeah, but uh, there's a lot more to it. I mean, well, apparently there, there is, is a lot of that. There's a lot of that. <laughs> yeah, but anyway, so uh, yeah, just finding out more, I guess, and and you know. Who's into it? What's what's it about? What can it be about? What does it look like? Yep. Yeah, the worlds that it can occupy. I think yep. it'll be really interesting, I actually. think it will be. It'll be a great episode. Mm. This has been Paperback Rider with Zach and Catherine. Uh, we'll see you next week. See you then. Bye.